be seated. Please turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts with me. Passages there on the insert with a short outline. Our focus comes to verse 28 down to verse 32. I will start reading a little earlier to regain our place, to gain that context that's necessary. We are in the middle of Paul's parting exhortation to his beloved leaders, joint leaders of Ephesus, the elders of Ephesus, the spiritual leaders of the church that he had spent almost three years ministering to. Uh, Paul loved this church. Uh, He spent the most time there of any of the churches that he uh, ministered to, and so he has an affinity for them that's different, probably, and a different level anyways. And now he calls out the elders to give them an exhortation, a challenge, um, a call to vigilance in their spiritual oversight of the church. And this qualifies for some timeless teaching that comports with other passages to the elders of the church. Um, It's directed at the elders, but the congregation listens in to hear what God calls elders to do, and it challenges the elders and it challenges the people, and we appreciate what the Lord has done in giving us watch care, giving us order. Uh, we thank Him for His Word and what His Word reveals so that we're not wanderingly, wandering aimlessly. Uh, we have some direction that will help us, and this is no exception. We have a beautiful uh, exhortation from the Apostle to the spiritual leaders at Ephesus, and I will pick up starting at verse 25 and read down to verse 32. Remember, this is God's inspired Word. God breathed. The Holy Spirit superintended over the writing of this so we can trust it completely, and we know that it gives us what we need for faith and life. Please hear God's word. And now behold, I know that none of you among, none, none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Let's bow together as I lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we ask for the ministry of your Holy Spirit to make your word understandable and applicable. Please alert us to things that we haven't known before or have known but have forgotten or even ignored. Lord, you know what is best for us, and so we are in need of your instruction. As we study these words of instruction from Paul, please convict and encourage each of us to trust and to obedience. May the result of our time in your word this hour Make us stronger in our faith in Christ. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
you probably know the most common metaphor that God uses for his relationship with his people is that of the shepherd and his sheep. God refers to himself in the Old Testament as the shepherd of his people, Israel. Through the prophets, the forecasting of God the Son to come, the Messiah, also functioning as the shepherd of Israel, starts to take its place in the Old Testament, looking forward to Christ's coming. Then when Jesus comes, he calls himself the good shepherd who lays his life down for the sheep. He's called the great shepherd. He's the good and the great shepherd. Uh, He takes that title of divinity that the Old Testament uh, describes for God the Father, and now God the Son takes that office or that place of shepherd. Then he tells Peter to feed his lambs, and he tells the apostles, in essence, to shepherd the people. And then the apostles, when they, they establish churches and appoint elders, the elders are told to function as shepherds as well. Now, technically, under shepherds. They're, the shepherd is Jesus, and the apostles and the elders of the churches, we all serve as under shepherds to Christ. And this is the pattern laid out in the New Testament for the propagating of the church, for the order of the church, for the care of the church, for the feeding of the church, the protection of the church. Um, by the word of his grace, the scriptures, the testimony of Christ, the gospel, under shepherds minister that word in serve by God's spirit to help safeguard the church and nurture it so that we all might grow. And all of us are under God's appointed care of elders. Even elders are under the care of other elders. It's this wonderful divine design for plurality that's a safeguard in and of itself and effectiveness to help shepherd us in our walk in Christ. And so Paul is speaking with great care and passion to those who will then go and shepherd the flock that he loves so much, the flock that Christ died for. And this is meant to be a picture, a model going forward. We see it repeated and modeled many other times in the New Testament, in Acts and then through the words that the apostles speak in the New Testament. And we strive by God's help to emulate that in the life of the local church. What we will see very, very clearly, as a shepherd cares for his sheep, so the elders of the church are supposed to care for the flock of Christ as under shepherds. I want you to look first at verse 28, and you'll see how elders are commissioned. They're commissioned to be under shepherds. This is a, a divine commission. It's an, a, a divine appointment. It's empowered by the Holy Spirit and recognized by the church. Elders or pastors, synonymous terms, are commissioned under shepherds of Christ, and they're called to care for his sheep. Verse 28, pay careful attention, Paul says to the Ephesian elders, to yourselves and to all the flock, in which the Holy Spirit has made you, again, he's still talking to the elders, the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Now, in our effort to be as biblical as possible, we try to follow this governance that's set up in the New Testament era. The apostle preached the gospel, people come to Christ, and then they appoint elders to continue the discipleship process and continue the preaching of the gospel when they leave. And the apostles always appoint more than one. There's a plurality of elders who serve there. Back in verse 17 of chapter 20, We know that Paul was speaking to the Ephesian elders because it says so in verse 17. He gathered the elders. The Greek word there is presbyter in verse 17, elder. 
Now, in verse 28, talking to the same people, notice what it says. Pay careful attention to yourself and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Now the word episkopos comes in, a different Greek word. The same function, the same people, same office. Uh, one word sometimes described as overseer or bishops, uh, whereas elder is for presbyter. They're used interchangeably. Another word enters too, shepherd or pastor. Pastor means shepherd. So we will see in the first century, in the New Testament era, you'll see elder, you'll see overseer or bishop, and you'll see pastor used interchangeably. That's why we believe in the Presbyterian system. The presbyters oversee the church, shepherd the church in plurality, not just one, a multitude of them work together by God's guidance according to his word to do their best to shepherd the flock. It wasn't until the second century when pragmatically there was a short, there was a shortfall in the amount of local elders there were that individual elders would take responsibility for larger regions. And under persecution, a lot of those men lost their lives. When Constantine legalized Christianity in the 4th century, uh, there were people that took their place as bishops in the way you think of it in the hierarchical churches like the Roman church or the Anglican church. Uh, but we believe the best way to understand the Bible's teaching, where possible, we should have a plurality of qualified elders who share all of these various roles of spiritual oversight. And that's the body or the governing or spiritual leadership body that Paul is speaking to before he leaves Ephesus in the passage before us. And we understand these elders to be commissioned under shepherds of Christ, called to care for Christ's sheep. Pay careful attention, Paul says, to yourselves and to the flock. He's using that shepherding language in which the Holy Spirit has called you as overseers. And what we need to recognize is the ownership of the flock is not the spiritual leaders of the church. Um, the spiritual leaders are under shepherds, servants of Christ, meant to serve the church for whom Christ died. The flock, you, the people of the church, are the precious lambs of Christ. Um, you are bought with a price by his own blood, just as it says, which he obtained with his own blood. That's for all of us to remember, and especially us as elders, who we are serving. It's a challenge to lead at times. It helps when we remember who we're leading, who we're serving, the sheep for whom Christ died. That goes deep to us in our calling as leaders or elders in the church. Uh, some years ago when I was in seminary taking Hebrew, it was a difficult class for sure. And most of us were groaning under the pressure of trying to learn this language and learn how to be good interpreters of the Old Testament especially. And our professor, I mean, that's what he lived for was Hebrew. And so he taught us, and we got to the third section of the class, and we were just on fumes, barely coming over the finish line, and we were turning in interpretive papers. He would assign a passage. We would then go translate it and then bring out the different nuances of the words, uh, what you should do in sermon preparation on a regular basis. Uh, but we're just new, just beginners at Hebrew, and it's such a difficult language, at least it was for me. The symbols are different in the alphabet. You read it a different direction from English or Greek, and it, all of it was just heavy. And admittedly, many of us were starting to get tired and lazy a bit at the end and maybe not turning in our best work. But we thought he's probably not going to notice. I mean, there's 28 of us in here. How close is he going to read our interpretations? That's what we thought. And so that morning, I'll never forget, coming into class during interim, which is in between the two sections, all you're doing is Hebrew. It seems like all day. And so you come into the class, and he had a stack of papers he was about to hand back to us. This is back when they still had hard copies of paper that you wrote on. And he looked at us all, and 
with a completely calm demeanor, but serious, he kind of laid them down on the table and said, this is the work that you do for the sheep for whom Christ died. I've never forgotten that in any sermon preparation I've ever done. If I'm prone or thinking of taking a shortcut or not putting in as much enough time in or studying more than I should, I remember that this is for the sheep for whom Christ died. In the elders collectively, think of you as the sheep for whom Christ died. For the challenges and difficulties of leadership, just what Paul says here speaks to us. We're, we've been made overseers by the Holy Spirit's commissioning to care for the church. What church? The church of God, who Jesus bought with his blood. That gives your elders a special sense of depth when it comes to the calling that we have been called to. And it's the Holy Spirit who commissions. I don't mean to say the Holy Spirit speaks and says this person should be an elder, that person should be an elder, but rather the Holy Spirit gives gifts that can be recognized um, as qualifications to be in the role of elder that the congregation has to recognize. And it's not just one person. That could be a dangerous thing. It's a plurality of shepherds working together by the Holy Spirit's enablement. We hold each other accountable to be sensitive and passionate about what we're called to do and to remind each other that we are serving the sheep for whom Christ died. The flock, you the flock, are God's. We as elders are under shepherds. Christ is the chief shepherd. The flock is God's. Christ is the good shepherd. The flock is God's. Christ is the great shepherd. Elders, presbyters, overseers, merely under shepherds in service of Christ. Jesus uh, told Peter, if you love me, feed my sheep. Later, when Peter writes one of his letters to the local churches, listen to what Peter says. I exhort the elders among you, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Paul tells the Ephesian elders the same thing essentially. Pastors and elders are under shepherds of Christ, caring for the sheep for whom Christ died. Back to our passage, verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. What, to, what do we do? To care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Elders, you are pastors, not just the ministers. Elders have a perpetual, really it's a round-the-clock calling, which is a challenge. Look at verse 31. Paul's reminding the local elders of the example that he set, and he wanted them to follow it. Verse 31, therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. He's being very realistic about what it looks like to be serving as a shepherd, in the, an under-shepherd in the church. Remember earlier he told Christians in general, or he at least revealed in general that the walk, the walk we have in Christ will be difficult. There will be challenges. There's toil involved. Here he's reminding the shepherds, day and night I had to strive in the oversight of the church that the Lord had granted me or given me, called me to, and had to admonish with tears at times. The congregation is God's flock. We are to remember this as leaders in the church and to the congregation, to the flock. See the calling that your elders have and the demand that God places on them and help them with this. Appreciate the difficulty of the calling. Support them with your prayers. Listening to them, if they give direction and saying to the church, we should do this or here is uh, this service to come to or be part of 
whatever it may be that will grow you, listen to that. Take that seriously because they are thinking in terms of your nurture and care. That's the purpose for it. It's a difficult calling. You know, for every issue that you may think you know about, I promise there are far, far more that you don't know about. There's a heavy burden that is, that is borne by the elders of the church. In the book of Hebrews, the author says to Christians, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. As those who will have to give an account, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Their purpose is to help you grow in Christ. They have to give an account to God for the watch care they give. I want you to notice something else about how Paul directs the elders in these last words that he speaks to them. Um, He focuses not just on the elders' ministry to the flock, but first the elders' ministry to himself so that he can be effective in ministry to the flock. And then he speaks about being careful, even within the midst of the church, the elders have to be mindful and aware of things that might creep up within the church that can derail us from the faith. Notice verse 28 where it says, be care- pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. Do you see that? Pay attention to yourselves in that order and then to all the flock. Uh, pay careful attention to your spiritual growth and health. Uh, Pay attention here means to pay careful watch or diligence concerning. Watch out for this. Be on your guard concerning this. Be warned about this. Take heed about yourself and about those who you are watching over. Uh, The spiritual vigilance that he is encouraging here starts with one's self. So elders are to be spiritually mature and growing. It doesn't mean they've arrived. It means that they, they model a process a progress that happens in the life of a believer. Some of that progress is, is recognizing more and more shortcomings in your life, being able to confess, to be transparent, to lead uh, in following Christ, uh, to lead in repentance where necessary, to, to model what it would look like. It would be no different, uh, the calling of the elders' life and growth, as it is for anyone else in the church. God just gives some to shepherd others along in that process, and it starts with themselves in their own walk. They're to be honest about their own propensity to sin and their need for a humble self-examination. Elders cannot be um, an effective shepherd if they are not growing spiritually. So this is what is meant when we're called to pay attention to ourselves and to the flock, to pay careful attention. Elders cannot be casual about spiritual growth. They have to be aware and look out for the spiritual pitfalls in their own life first then they could be of service to the rest of the flock as they strive in this way. When you're on an airplane, you know what happens at the beginning when they give all the safety announcements. Um, And one of the first things the attendants say is they show the oxygen mask drop down. Now, I admit I usually don't listen after that because I'm thinking, if an oxygen mask ever drops out when I'm on it, it's pretty well over anyway, so why am I grabbing for some extra air? That's just my pessimistic way of looking at it. But in the case that it was just some, some air that we could all survive, What's the first thing you're supposed to do? Well, my inclination would be to put it on my child or someone who can't put it on themselves, just thinking of them first. But the attendant always says, put it on yourself first so that you can be of help because if you black out, you're not helping anybody. Similarly, elders are to pay close attention to themselves first so they could be of service to everyone else. 
They have to grow themselves to be able to help others grow in Christ. This is exactly what Paul means to say when he says, pay attention to yourself and to the flock in that order. Later in, uh, or in the book of Galatians, Paul writes to the spiritual leaders of the church. He doesn't explicitly say elders, but you hear what he says and it matches this whole idea. Um, when people fall into sin, how should that be dealt with? Well, the shepherds of the church should gently restore them. And listen to the wording in Galatians. With, it helps us understand that, self, that self-examination that has to happen from spiritual leaders. Galatians 6, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Why? And then what does it say next? Keep watch on yourself. It's a heavy role when you're uh, in a, no, none of us as elders want to call out other people's sins because we know we have our own. But God gives us this position in this mantle. And he says, do so with gentleness, very carefully. Keep watch on yourself, Paul says to the Galatian leaders, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Um, the elders watch inwardly to recognize humbly their propensity to sin too as they help shepherd others through their issues with the gospel, carefully and humbly. Paul writing to Timothy, keep a close watch on yourself and the teaching. Timothy became the pastor in Ephesus. And several years later, five years later, he writes back to Timothy, says, be careful, watch, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching, on yourself, your conduct, and on the doctrine, on your life and on the teaching. Pay close attention to these because they have to, they, we can't be complete hypocrites and expect people to follow. So recognize, Timothy, um, your life and your doctrine. They go together. And model this balance for the people. Keep a close watch on yourself and the teaching. Persist in this, Timothy. For by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. He means to say there will be credibility to the word we preach when there is an obvious attempt on the part of the leaders themselves to follow what it says. Elders are to pay careful attention to themselves first. But this is so they can effectively minister to the congregation and watch out for them. Verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and all the flock. Using the word of God, the elders are called to direct the church. This includes providing for biblical worship like we have here, at least we try to do to the best of our ability. It it, it includes providing a steady diet of biblical teaching within the ministries of the church. Uh, the elders are watching out for the flock in that they are involved with the teaching and the preaching of the scriptures, instruction and doctrine. It means exhortations according to scripture. It means correction when that comes up, discipling when it comes up, called to spiritual vigilance. That's what we should be about. Pay careful attention. It doesn't mean kind of look over and see how it's going. Pay careful attention. In our book of church order, a document that I think has been well-crafted to help us um, live out what the scripture teaches. It summarizes it in short form. In our particular book of order says this for the elders. It belongs to those in the office of elder to watch diligently over the flock committed to their charge, that no corruption of doctrine or morals enter therein. They must exercise government and discipline and take oversight not only of the spiritual interests of the church. They should visit the people in their homes, especially the sick, They should instruct the ignorant, comfort the mourner, nourish and guard the children of the church. They should set a worthy example to the flock entrusted to their care by their zeal to evangelize the unconverted, 
make disciples, and demonstrate hospitality. All those duties which private Christians are bound to discharge, you're called to the same things, I haven't said anything that isn't true of you too as the church, but all those duties which private Christians are bound to discharge by the law of love are especially incumbent upon the elders by divine vocation and are to be discharged as official duties. They should pray with and for the people, being careful and diligent, seeking the fruit of the preached word among the flock. One of my favorite parts of corporate worship is something that happens privately all the time. The elders regularly pray for you, their flock, Christ's flock, given to their care. But on Sunday morning, it's always a special blessing to have our elders come with a very thought-out prayer, a personal prayer for you, for us. Uh, this is what God calls the elders to be about. It symbolizes it, and it actualizes it at the same time. And it reminds us of that important calling that these men have in our lives. Verse 30 tells us a sober reality that also happens in the ministry of the, the elders in the local church. They have to be constantly paying attention to the flock, especially that which comes from within the flock, because we are warned there will be times where things get twisted doctrinally that can derail our faith, and it can happen within the, in the midst of the church. Some of the error that comes is something that is assimilated from outside the church that comes into the church. Sometimes it springs up within the church. Verse 30, And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them instead of after Christ. So it's the job of the elders to recognize when teaching crops up that is at odds with Scripture and it opposes the glory of Christ. And that can happen within the body of Christ. And so the elders have to be called and reminded of their duty in this regard. And it's a challenging duty. It's a difficult one. It can be uncomfortable. The last book that Paul wrote was probably 2 Timothy. Maybe 10 years after the book of Ephesians or, the, or this episode, I should say, that happens in the book of Acts. He writes to Timothy, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. Paul's telling Timothy, as an elder in the church, you need to correct this error that has cropped up in the church. That's the job, that's the calling of the elders. Internally now, there's another warning about wolves from without, but now he's talking within. You know, one of the great safeguards that we have in our tradition, this is a good aspect of tradition, is we have a confessional statement that we can hold our leaders to and our leaders can hold us to. We believe it's an expression of the biblical faith and it's been tested over and over and over again and we can still test it. It's never out of being tested. It's not the Bible, so we can test it. Uh, but it gives a certain safeguard against in, internal error coming up. You know, every once in a while, uh, folks will visit the church, and, and we're brothers and sisters in Christ, even if we have different views of baptism. That's one classic case. But we're a Presbyterian church with a confessional statement about what we think the Scripture teaches. And every once in a while, someone will come, a brother in the Lord, for sure, and they'll think, perhaps, uh, maybe they don't understand what that means, the confession, and, and what my commitment is to it, or has to be. And they'll want to meet and then talk to me about what they think is a biblical view of baptism, their view. 
And so I, I know what's coming. They'll try to convince me. And I know the argument too. I've thought about it at length, and this is where I am for a reason. However, I should always be open. We should always be open to talk about things biblically. And we, it's not a salvation issue, so we can talk in fellowship. But what sometimes is misunderstood because of the safeguard, if they did convince me that you should only baptize people after they're old enough to make a profession of faith, if you could convince me of that, do you realize that does not mean that Redeemer now does that? That means Tony just lost his job. I mean, I have to let the elders know the change in my position, and I promise you what they'll say. That last sermon was a good one, but it's the last one. I hope they say it's a good one. Maybe they would just say that. I don't know. Point is, I'm bound to a doctrinal standard that's outside of myself. And that helps safeguard, that's an, elder, an elder-led uh, document that we subscribe to that gives us some careful screening for the teaching that happens in the church. Because it's important. That's what Paul says. Doesn't mean it can't still happen, though. People can ignore whatever that statement is. And it's the job of the elders to hold accountable our membership they themselves and our membership. Now, by what means do the elders primarily care for the flock? It's not a confessional statement. That's not the main means at all. That's just something that, is a, that helps us, points us to the means itself. It summarizes because it's such a, a large book, the scriptures themselves. Look at verse 32 and you'll see it. And now I commend to you. So Paul's leaving them and what is he going to leave them with? He's saying that they've got to care for the flock. Well, that could be daunting if it's just up to them. But verse 32, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. Do you see that? I'm going to give to you, uh, I, I want God to bless you, and I commend to you, you to the word of his grace. The word of his grace, this is that, that term that is in conjunction with his multitude of phrases that simply describe the gospel of Christ. The message of Christ is salvation through Christ, faith in him, that we can be right with God by that trust in him, that we gain the righteousness of Christ in a legal sense before the Lord, credited to us because we trust in Jesus and his finished work. That's the gospel message, and he calls it the message of the kingdom. He calls it the message of the grace of God, testimony to Christ, the word of his grace, the word of God. Um, He commends to them Christ, to them Christ. I now commend you to God and to the word of his grace. So that is the tool of the shepherd or the elder's trade is the word of God. Just like a shepherd has a crook or a staff that he uses, in this case, the word of God is given for this purpose. What can the word of God do in this context? It says right there in verse 32. It is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Three different benefits happen there. Did you notice them? First of all, the word of his grace, the message of the scriptures, which is Christ, who is Christ, it builds you up. That's what we mean by a means of grace, to grow you in your faith. The word of God does this, and that's the main tool of the shepherd of the church, the under shepherds of the church, as it were. Able to build you up, and it's able to give you the inheritance. The final grasping of the full benefits of Christ happened to glory when we receive that crown ultimately purchased by Jesus for us. It, it, it helps us to persevere. It builds us up and helps us persevere to the reception of the full inheritance that is ours in Christ Jesus. This is just a short blip that we're living right now. The full inheritance is yet to come, and it never ends. In the word of his grace, that's a benefit of it, is reaching by perseverance and faith that ultimate inheritance. And notice what it says 
to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified, and that's speaking in a present sense. Now, it's a little bit confusing because this is a passive, uh, a perfect passive verb, or it's participle exactly, and that means we don't have a translation like this in English. It's a future tense, but because God promises it, it's just like it's happened. That's the language, and so it's the best way to translate it is among all those who are sanctified, just like we call each other saints. Now, technically we're saints positionally because we're in Christ, but you know and I know we're not really saints, not in full, a full sense yet. We haven't received the ultimate inheritance, but we do speak in a present sense that way. Likewise, those being sanctified, being sanctified or made more, more and more holy on the basis of the means of God's grace, the word of his grace. I commend, he says to the, the elders, I commend to you, you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among those who are sanctified. Finally, I want you to notice another activity, an important activity of the elders. They are to be on spiritual watch, uh, watch care outside the church. It doesn't always mean individuals, although this here in this passage speaks of an individual or individuals who might come into the church from outside the church and bring false teaching or harm. It also could be the ideas of the world that are opposed to Christ that find their way into the church. It didn't develop from within, but it was something that crept in and then caused confusion and people, to, their faith to be derailed and destroyed even. That's the lingo that's spoken of here. It's true. The shepherd's number one job is to feed the flock, but closely related is to give them safety while they feed, to watch out for those threats that could taint the food they receive. Uh, the individuals who could come in and try to destroy, and that's what they're trying to do. It says in verse 29, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Wolves do not come in to a flock to make peace with the sheep or protect the sheep or interact with the sheep and have have some kind of harmony with the sheep. Wolves and sheep, that's not what wolves do to sheep. They come for one reason, to ravage them, to destroy them. And Paul knows as soon as he leaves, it won't be long and this will happen. When I was around 12 years old, I had a paper route and there was a guy who raised rabbits. And the rabbits were not like your little cute little bunnies. They were big, like 20 plus pound lop-eared rabbits. They're pretty cool. And uh, they moved, they were ran super fast, and they were kind of, a, they were a different kind of pet, to say the least. And somehow, I convinced my parents to let him give me one of these rabbits. Now, what we had to do was build quite an elaborate system of ca a, a, a cage for it out in the backyard that allowed it to run, because it could run super fast. And uh, I remember my dad and I setting up this, this area for it with chicken wire in a pretty big area so it could stretch out and run around and, and it... Basically, we had an acre yard, so it was fine to have it back here, uh, but it was near the wilderness, so we couldn't let it just run loose. About two days after I had it, I woke up the next morning and came, and a dog had gotten into the cage and tore it apart all over the yard. That's what wolves want to do to the church. They don't want to negotiate. They don't want to come in and, and meet on common ground. They want to take it over. They want to destroy it. They want to stop it from being effective as God would have it be. Just recognize that wolves are not in any way a friend. 
And elders in the, uh, in the church are called to notice that when that's coming in. It could be a mindset that comes in that's from the world. It could be a person who comes in. But you've all seen it happen in American church history where a denomination or a local church starts out very, very keyed in on the word of God and Christ is the only way of salvation. And not even a generation later, they don't know what end is up. They can't tell what's going on and they're, they're no better than a social club. And they're no salt and they're no light whatsoever. And that happens quickly, one generation. Some of you have grown through it a couple times in your life. That is the propensity of man apart from the revelation of God. And to let wolves in, that's under the watch of the elders. And the elders are called to stand against that. And this is exactly what, this is exactly what happened. Even in this, this is a sad story, even in Ephesus. It was a strong church. But in the second letter that Paul writes to Timothy, which would have been seven or eight years later, ten at the most, listen to what he says to Timothy. You are aware, Timothy, that all who are in Asia turned away from me. Among those are Philegius and Hermogenes. Wait a minute, you remember what Paul said earlier about Asia? All of Asia had heard the gospel in his ministry in that, in that missionary journey. Now, seven years later, from prison, he's saying, they've all turned away. That's the truth of how fast things can happen. Similar warnings in the New Testament, like in the book of Jude. Beloved, although I was eager to write to you about our common salvation, it's like Jude had fixed to write something different, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Usually, one of the chief ways wolvishness finds its way in is it substitutes some point, some kind of sensuality that maybe Scripture says is not part of God's design. And people say, no, we want it as God's design, and we're going to have it any way we can have it. And before you know it, Jesus isn't even mentioned anymore. It's all about that sensuality. It's all about that thing, that thing that sat they think satisfies. That's the wolvishness of that kind of false teaching and that's why it says people creep in unnoticed who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Peter writes, false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. The last book of the New Testament written was the book of Revelation. Some say it was written near 90, some before 70 AD, whatever the case, some years after Paul left Ephesus. And the Apostle John writes the vision of Christ. And listen to Jesus' address of Ephesus, some years later now. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil. So there's still some good things happening at Ephesus at the time Revelation's written but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. So they're doing some of the very things Paul said to do. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you. This, this is the, the warning when we're vigilant as he calls us to be. This could happen. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, Repent and do the works you did at first. They were vigilant, so vigilant that they grew cold a bit in their walk. That's a warning to us. 
be vigilant, and also stay passionate in our love. And the way this happens is the word of His grace, continually celebrated and reminded, a constant reference back to the gospel of God's grace in our lives as we are vigilant. As a shepherd cares for the sheep, so also elders are to care for the church with vigilance. Elders are under-shepherds of Christ. Elders are to be on guard for themselves spiritually and for the flock from the inside. But elders are also to be on guard for wolves that might attack the flock from outside. We'll continue this study of the elders as we walk through the rest of Paul's exhortation, Lord willing, soon. Let's bow together as I lead us in prayer. Lord, we are grateful for the spiritual provisions that you have given to the church. First and foremost, your word and the sacraments. We are also beneficiaries of the order that your word sets up, called shepherds, to shepherd the flock of Christ, to serve as under-shepherds, to provide spiritual care that we need. Please encourage the leaders of our church through these timeless words of Paul. Please encourage the members of our congregation as we are reminded of God's love for us through the under-shepherds of Christ, who minister the word of God to us and watch out for our souls. pray this in Christ's name. Amen.